Hi, this is Mike D'Agostino with Information Security Media Group, producers of BankInfoSecurity.com and CUInfoSecurity.com. We recently attended the BAI 2007 Retail Delivery Conference and Expo in Las Vegas, where the theme was Customer Innovation in the Banking and Financial Services Industry. We had a chance to speak with several vendors who address information security within the banking industry on the Expo Hall floor. I invite you to listen to what they had to say about how they are addressing security. So I'm here with Martin Hugo of Alaric Systems International. Yep. He's going to tell us a little bit about their uh, products, specifically their fraud products and services. Can do. Um, okay, Alaric's a, a company about 10 years old, uh, founded by some visionary guys who came from an environment uh, where they were developing, supporting, selling uh, EFT systems. And uh, there was a certain legacy uh, product uh, that was uh, abandoned by its new owners at around about that time. And the company was formed specifically to support that population of customers who wanted to remain on that, that platform set and um, uh, continue uh, with the support of the experts that they were familiar with. After a couple of years, uh, the company realized that it was time to move forward with a whole new uh, product suite uh, in the EFT space that support ATM and POS uh, processing, switching, routing, and so forth. And so they developed their own product uh, called Authentic, which is the first product that Alaric produced. And that product turned out to be tremendously successful, so, so much so that uh, it sold well outside that original customer base, uh, having been used to replace that customer base's original product set. Um, and the pinnacle of success, uh, I would guess, so far um, for that product is that uh, it's used by a very large uh, American T&E card company as its central switching uh, okay. mechanism. Won't ask for any names. The name of which I cannot mention, <laughs> uh, but they are um, very much in the news these days as a potential rival to uh, Visa and MasterCard uh, following certain activities in the market. And. Um, uh, product has been resold multiple times to a variety of customers around the world. It's interesting that it's been sold globally um, uh, multiple times. And the uh, fraud product came as a result of one of the customers who had taken the switching software to do their ATM POS networks, <laughs> saying, we need a fraud risk management solution and we're not happy with the degree of choice that we've got in the market. Would you be kind enough to develop one on the same platforms that we've got our EFT systems on? And the product set and the architecture that was favoured uh, by the, uh, the architects who built uh, the authentic product has been pure Java, uh, purely on relational database. So, say, Java on Oracle, uh, Java on DB2, whatever, uh, and platform agnostic, highly portable. And what they said was, we want fraud risk management solutions which are built in the same spirit. <laughs> and that's what Fractals is. Um, but when the guys came to develop it, it just so happened that the uh, leaders of the company included a couple of mathematics PhDs. <laughs> and they said, uh, not only can we build uh, real-time fraud risk management systems, um, better than other people uh, using Java technology, more accessible technology, lower cost of ownership and so forth. Uh, but we just so happen to have uh, the expertise in um, analytics and artificial intelligence as well. Okay. And so what they did was, uh, on the back of the, the rules-based system, which was the starting point, uh, they built uh, a whole, um, what we call an adaptive classification engine, which is um, effectively uh, a functional equivalent to the kind of stuff that's normally handled by neural networks that can be implemented much more cheaply and models and uh, um, 
solutions we've got far quicker than you can do with neural networks. It normally takes months or years to develop um, the models for. So we've got a kind of a unique product set in that it's probably the most open product set on the market. Right. Uh, and the, the switching um, car processing uh, ATM POS uh, software is complemented by this fraudless management solution set. The beauty of them all is that they're so configurable and uh, the fact that they can be controlled by the business users. So instead of having to go back to the programming shop, the IT shop, to get your stuff re reconfigured to take on new cards, new customers, new portfolios, um, new, new business services and stuff, uh, you can, if for the most part, the business users can control those functions themselves. Yeah, so you, say, you said sound bite. That was a long yeah. bite. No, no, that's okay. I, I, I have a question for you. you know, this is really interesting. I think you're uh, one of the first companies uh, we've talked with here that are, um, I guess, UK-based. You know, I guess the majority of your customers right now are outside of the U.S. Uh, actually, we have customers in the other one we mentioned that they're uh, in the U.S. Uh, but, yeah, they're everywhere. I mean, my, 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 my question is, what do you see the differences? How, how is the U.S. market, you know, different compared to what you're seeing outside of the U.S. market? Are the needs different? Are they focusing on different things? Are certain other things, you know, money more of an issue? What is... Uh, there's two things. First is uh, that in the banking environment, um, there's uh, an evident trend for uh, a replacement cycle in the EFT market. So the people who are running uh, ATM cost switches, card issuing, uh, authorization systems, mm-hmm. um, are looking for change. Uh, they want stuff which can move faster because the business demands on the cars business, um, I should know over exercise cars because it's not just cars, um, has been so dramatic um, with uh, the things like prepaid contactless uh, EMB cards outside the mm-hmm. of course, um, that basically the software packages that uh, historically led the market uh, just aren't moving fast enough to satisfy the business requirements. Right. And uh, what we're finding is that even institutions that have got existing systems that would be well known to your readers um, as market-leading solutions are saying, if I need to deploy a, a solution for a portfolio of cards in a particular country in Latin America, say, um, if I use my existing solution under its current license and terms, I cannot do it cost-effectively uh, with what I've got already in-house, and I won't be able to develop it, reconfigure it fast enough to meet my business requirement. Right. So they're actually saying, I need a tactical solution now in that in that geo, and uh, I can't get it from my existing suppliers. So even people who've got commitments to existing solutions are actually saying, they can't move fast enough for me, we want something new, and we want it now. Hmm. And, and that's the kind of thing we're seeing. Well, listen, thanks for the words of wisdom again. Uh, Martin Hugel with uh, Alaric Systems. Thanks. So we're here with Hal Tilbury of Bluepoint Solutions, and he's going to tell us a little bit about what his company does. Well, our uh, company is in the document management space, uh, primarily in the Check 21 area, uh, but we manage all kinds of documents, and we believe that document management needs to be anchored by a philosophy of best practices. Most document management systems historically in the financial world have cost banks and credit unions money as opposed to being a tool for them to make money or to improve service uh, to their customers. We believe that by adopting best practices for document management, we can improve customer service, improve employee productivity, and improve the bottom line. Uh, And so we strictly adhere to these best practices, and we've developed a complete suite of document management solutions uh, 
expect to inform to those best practices. Okay. I noticed uh, one of the things that you guys um, had was uh, authentication. How does that play in? Well, dual factor authentication is an important tool when you're working with documents because there are many documents that are a factor of identification. Think of a, a driver's license, think of a fingerprint or a signature. All of these are actually what we would call a binary large object. They're really a document. And if you think of a document, it's really something that contains information. So a fingerprint is just something that contains information. So we manage any kind of binary large object, whether it be a word file, an email, a thumbprint, a video clip, um, or a paper document that is scanned into the system as a TIFF document. Um, but all of this information needs to be secure. It needs to be properly protected and managed. And that's what we do. Any other words of wisdom you want to add for our folks? Or? Well, I think most document management solutions that I've seen uh, in financial institutions are what I would call first generation. They're really archival systems, and I would encourage financial institutions to think beyond that to the fact that by properly uh, formulating a strategy for managing your documents, you can dramatically improve customer service and employee productivity, uh, which has a huge payback. So this application, instead of costing the institution money, uh, can be something that can service their customers and save them a lot of money. Very good. Okay. Again, uh, Hal Tilbury of uh, Bluepoint Solutions. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. So we're here with Hal Tilbury of Bluepoint Solutions, and he's going to tell us a little bit about what his company does. Well, our uh, company is in the document management space, uh, primarily in the Check 21 area, uh, but we manage all kinds of documents, and we believe that document management needs to be anchored by a philosophy of best practices. Most document management systems historically in the financial world have cost banks and credit unions money as opposed to being a tool for them to make money or to improve service uh, to their customers. And we believe that by adopting best practices for document management, we can improve customer service, improve employee productivity, and improve the bottom line. Uh, and so we, we strictly adhere to these best practices, and we've developed a complete suite of document management solutions uh, that conform to those best practices. Okay. I noticed uh, one of the things that you guys um, had was uh, authentication. How does that play in? Well, dual factor authentication is an important tool when you're working with documents because there are many documents that are a factor of identification. Think of a, a driver's license, think of a fingerprint or a signature. All of these are actually what we would call a binary large object. They're really a document. And if you think of a document, it's really something that contains information. So a fingerprint is just something that contains information. So we manage any kind of binary large object, whether it be a word file, an email, a thumbprint, a video clip, um, or a paper document that is scanned into the system as a TIFF document. Um, but all of this information needs to be secure. It needs to be properly protected and managed. And that's what we do. Okay. 
Any other words of wisdom you want to add for our folks? Or? Well, I think most document management solutions that I've seen uh, in financial institutions are what I would call first generation. They're really archival systems, and I would encourage financial institutions to think beyond that to the fact that by properly uh, formulating a strategy for managing your documents, you can dramatically improve customer service and employee productivity, uh, which has a huge payback. So this application, instead of costing the institution money, uh, can be something that can service their customers and save them a lot of money. Very good. Okay. Again, uh, Hal Tilbury of uh, Bluepoint Solutions. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. So we're here with Hal Tilbury of Bluepoint Solutions, and he's going to tell us a little bit about what his company does. Well, our uh, company is in the document management space, uh, primarily in the Check 21 area, uh, but we manage all kinds of documents, and we believe that document management needs to be anchored by a philosophy of best practices. Most document management systems historically in the financial world have cost banks and credit unions money as opposed to being a tool for them to make money or to improve service uh, to their customers. We believe that by adopting best practices for document management, we can improve customer service, improve employee productivity, and improve the bottom line. Uh, And so we we strictly adhere to these best practices, and we've developed a complete suite of document management solutions uh, that conform to those best practices. Okay. I noticed uh, one of the things that you guys um, had was uh, authentication. How does that play in? Well, dual factor authentication is an important tool when you're working with documents because there are many documents that are a factor of identification. Think of a, a driver's license, think of a fingerprint or a signature. All of these are actually what we would call a binary large object. They're really a document. And if you think of a document, it's really something that contains information. So a fingerprint is just something that contains information. So we manage any kind of binary large object, whether it be a Word file, an email, a thumbprint, a video clip, um, or a paper document that is scanned into the system as a TIFF document. But all of this information needs to be secure. It needs to be properly protected and managed. And that's what we do. Any other words of wisdom you want to add for our folks? Well, I think most document management solutions that I've seen uh, in financial institutions are what I would call first generation. They're really archival systems. And I would encourage financial institutions to think beyond that to the fact that by properly uh, formulating a strategy for managing your documents, you can dramatically improve customer service and employee productivity, uh, which has a huge payback. So this application, instead of costing the institution money, uh, can be something that can service their customers and save them a lot of money. Very good. Okay. Again, uh, Hal Tilbury of uh, Bluepoint Solutions. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. We're here now with Dan Werner of Fiserv, who uh, most of our audience must know about, and uh, he's going to tell us a little bit about a new risk and compliance initiative that they have. 
Fiserv is uh, uh, obviously uh, looking at uh, risk and compliance in a little bit different um, mode uh, recently as we've gone through the Fiserv 2.0 initiative, which is really uh, taking a lot of what we're doing from a uh, corporate uh, perspective, all of the different solutions that we offer at Fiserv, uh, pulling them together into a little bit more cohesive package. Risk and compliance is one of those that, uh, that we're really working hard on uh, with the Fiserv 2.0 initiative. So um, try to take a, take a look at uh, risk and compliance really more from a holistic uh, enterprise risk management perspective rather than taking all of our uh, solutions that we have historically in the past as point solutions uh, and individual siloed solutions for risk and compliance and fraud management and really trying to bring them in, in together uh, into more of a strategic enterprise risk management strategy. Um, one of the initiatives that uh, we recently um, went through is the acquisition of a company called NetEconomy, which is a uh, BSA AML um, and financial crime management company uh, located out of the Netherlands. And uh, so that is probably one of the, the first examples of how we're bringing that particular company into Fiserv and then using that solution and deploying it across of all of the Fiserv cores um, at the same time. Okay. I know BSA, AML, that's a major topic with our audience. Can you tell me a little bit more about you know how the company works? What, what, how is the solution based? How does it fit in with the financial company? Um, the net economy solution? Yeah. Um, the, the net economy solution really addresses all aspects of BSA, AML, from um, SARS and CTRs to all of the risk ratings. Uh, it uses some very unique um, profiling capabilities uh, along with just some uh, regular rules-based uh, technology. Um, to handle all of, all of the reporting needs from a BSA AML perspective. And then on top of that, uh, which is where, again, it, it comes back to the whole enterprise risk management strategy, they use that same platform um, to do all of the fraud management, both external fraud, um, amounts out of range, check out of range, check guiding, those types of things, as well as internal employee fraud. So leveraging okay. the same platform, same data feeds, uh, same technology, again, more of a holistic uh, approach to fraud management risk compliance. Okay. One more question. I know um, uh, a lot of our users may be from some of the smaller uh, community banks and credit unions. Is this a solution that can address that? Is this for all size institutions or all sizes? I mean, we have uh, uh, obviously serving in the market everything from a de novo to you know multi-billion dollar organizations. And, and if you look at the markets that Pfizer uh, serves, uh, obviously with all of the different core solutions, that addresses almost the entire market uh, in the financial industry. So the acquisition of net economy, it is getting plugged into every one of our cores, both on the banking side as well as on the credit union side. So very scalable. Very interesting. Okay. Again, Dan Warner with uh, Fiserv. Thank you. Okay, so now we're here with Bill Nicholson of Jack Henry, and he's going to tell us a little bit about their um, fraud products and services. With the uh, Yellow Hammer products, it's a suite of products. There's multiple different modules that make it up. One's a fraud detection system, and that encompasses kind of complete fraud. It looks at everything from honest checks to deposits to check hiding, ACH activity, and then some degree of ATM and debit card fraud. But there's a second module that's called EFT. That piece of a, of a risk management piece is for only ATM and debit card transactions, but it monitors in real time. And that was that came out about two years ago in conjunction with the increase in debit card fraud. And that's gone up a huge spike through the roof of debit card fraud. So we needed to find a solution that could be combated real time versus looking at the transactions the next day. So that's where the EFT piece came out. Okay. The third module of it is our BSA system. 
and that is a enterprise-wide BSA solution, fully automated, covering every, all the different areas of Bank Secrecy Act from customer due diligence, enhanced due diligence, risk rating your customer base, your case management, the training, all the different aspects that make up all the rules and regulations of Bank Secrecy Act. Okay. So, so we kind of noticed, um, you know, last year was kind of the year of authentication. This year we've seen uh, tons of traffic towards our, our fraud and BSA AML um, uh, sections on the website and research. Um, tell me a little bit more. I mean, how do you guys address, uh, let's say, insider fraud? It's, we don't actually, we don't have a piece yet for embezzlement. That's actually the next evolution of our Yellowhammer suite. Okay. So there's nothing in place we have today for investment other than watching internal bank accounts. Um, we do right. employee accounts and so forth in the money movement. You know. Well, let me, let me add this. I mean, uh, most of our users probably recognize uh, Jack Henry as more of a core banking system. Mm-hmm. Tell me about, you know, how did this come about? How are you guys, um, you know, using your fraud detective suite to um, either enhance your core banking system or is it in lieu of the core banking system? How do they put together? No, this is an add-on in, in, to enhance the core banking system. This okay. was uh, something that Jack Henry developed about four and a half years ago. And in four and a half years, we've done see, almost 800 banks now are on our fraud detection wow. system. Our BSA system came out just this past June. Um, in the last four months, we've got 130 banks that have signed up for it already. Very nice. Four months. So this is an add-on to the core solution. Okay. That alleviates some of the annual to, reporting. Do you have to um, subscribe to your core banking system to use these? No. Um, no you this is okay. one of the few products of Jack Henry that you don't. Because of the demand we've had for Yellowhammer, we now take it outside of Jack Henry's core base as well. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. Bill Nicholson with uh, Jack Henry. All right. Thank you. Thanks a lot. So I'm here now with Larry Myers and Mimi Hart of Magenta, uh, and they're going to tell us a little bit about their company and the products that they're offering here at the BAI show. Okay, uh, Magenta is a remote hosted uh, ASP service that provides uh, credential authentication. Uh, it works in tandem with some products from Magtech Corporation, which are called MagnaSafe Readers. And basically, what we're showing here at the show today is uh, our newest release of the Mag- MagnaSafe Portable Readers, which uh, allow consumers from their home sites or their office sites to be able to securely log in to uh, the bank websites or also to do secure e commerce um, using the financial bank cards that they already have in their wallets today based on MagStripe technology. Uh, the centerpiece of the technology that allows us to work is called MagnaPrint. It basically is a card authentication technology offered by MagTech Corporation, uh, which allows uh, each card to be individually fingerprinted, or as we call it, MagnaPrinted, and at the, from that point forward allows us to authenticate that card each time it's used in the system. With that uniqueness, we then can build uh, multi-factor authentication for FFIEC standards that allow people to uh, secure log into any website, and because we're using the payment card, uh, we can also use those features to automate uh, e-commerce payment systems. Very interesting. So I, I saw sort of a, a quick demo. Uh, it's very nice. You don't really have to carry around any additional hardware. And, and tell me, I, I think most people are probably familiar with tokens. So how does this kind of uh, differentiate between you know your product and, and a typical token that people are used to? Well, I think we think that the, the best token that people have in their uh, possession right now is the credit card or the ATM card 
card that's in their wallet today. Everybody carries it. it they use it everywhere they go at, at ATM, POS. They trust it already. So why not use that same token uh, as uh, what you're going to use for secure e-commerce or uh, uh, online banking? And basically what the beauty of our system is is that the reader is basically a neutral device. So it's not assigned to you. You can mix and match. So it's not unlike some of the OTP tokens out there where you, it's uniquely assigned to you and you must use it with a given institution. Our platform allows you to basically use any card uh, as a token and, and use it through the reader uh, in any combination that you want. Uh, so you have complete freedom of uh, just using the readers, either the ones in your possession, ones that you borrow from friends, ones that may be in public locations. So there's a lot more freedom and flexibility in our platform than uh, some of the other uh, token solutions out there. Also, swiping is far easier than the tokens. The tokens involve a lot of uh, eye-to-hand coordination. So sure. First, you have to read the value, and then you've got to transpose Only it. good for a certain amount of time. Exactly. And, yeah. If you don't get it quite in 30 seconds, you've got to back up and do it again. Right. Whereas everyone knows how to swipe, so it's really sure. easy. It's just one simple swipe, and the data automatically goes in, fills in the fields, and you're ready to go. Right. We, we like to say it's easier to swipe than type. type. Okay. That's good. That's good. Now, I know you, you, you showed me sort of a quick demo on logging into your own banking account and maybe doing some online banking transfers or anything. You mentioned that there might be some other possibilities for uh, this application, maybe as far as e-commerce goes, maybe some end users. Absolutely. Uh, unlike other token solutions that are out there, which are only dedicated to one task, this product and this platform allows you to use it for other things. So, for example, um, besides doing online uh, banking, you can also do secure e-commerce payments. So, in, this, in that model, the same piece of hardware is now acting as a traditional MagStripe card reader. Think of it as a mini POS device, but it features uh, encryption, so all the data is encrypted at the point of swipe as it comes into your PC, goes out onto the internet and whatnot, and basically what it allows you to do is uh, to uh, have an experience uh, similar to what you have at a retailer today. You swipe your card at the time of payment, and uh, the information is securely transferred to the merchant and uh, you know meets the best uh, requirements of PCI DSS for data encryption and data protection. Again, it's very fast, and one of the things customers don't have to do, again, is type. They don't have to type in 16 digits and a CVV2. They just swipe their card like they do at a POS terminal. So we think there's a lot of advantages there. So, and the encryption will add a lot as well because we don't, we, you will not have to worry about phishing and people that are able to obtain that information. Right. It's all encrypted, so they can they can look at it all day long, but they don't really see good, clear data. Very interesting. So, and kind of in a nutshell, what we would say is that, you know, the most trusted credential that people carry today is that bank card that's in their wallet. Sure. We think that, you know, that represents a powerful branding opportunity uh, between the customer and the financial institutions. So why not build on that trust and that flexibility of that, that MagStrike card document that they have today? And with MagnaPrint as a card authentication technology and then the MagnaSafe readers combined together, it allows them to extend that trusted platform that they use today out onto the Internet services. Very interesting. <laughs> and the readers are awfully
All right, now we're here with Jim Dempster of Medevante Corporation. Jim's going to give us a little bit of uh, uh, words of wisdom, so to speak, on their company and how they might address security within the finance industry. Okay, to, uh, to start with, I look at this from a software architecture point of view, and we kind of break it down. Security means many things to many people. Uh, the two major categories for us are the, the authentication or identification, and then once past that, the authorization or entitlement to specific functionality. Okay. So on the, the first part, we've increasingly tried to move towards a single sign-on or a federated sign-on model so that with our authentication layer, uh, we tend to want that to be the front door to any number of applications behind it. And then at the same time, in, in the case of larger financial institutions, they may have their own security framework in place in front of us. In that case, we work as a trusted back-end provider where that, that front-end or portal does the authentication, passes the credential to a back-end system, and we don't re-log in, don't re-challenge. So that's, that's been one of the things that makes the whole user experience much okay. more uh, yeah, you said, you pleasurable. Said the, you said the second part was, it sounded like maybe it deals with kind of like ID management or no. access control, no? Well, access control in the sense okay. that once a user is logged in, then determining all the things that they can do. Okay. So the... Uh, the approach that, that we've taken and when we see uh, a lot of people liking a lot is to move from you know, permissions or privileges at the user ID level to have more of the model of a user ID has a role and it's the role that determines what privileges or uh, you know authorizations they have and that allows the administrator of security much more effectively you know, provision users and have, you know, especially in a more regulated world, more of an assurance that I'm not having unintentional access right. to systems, whereas with the older method of just user ID and what they can do, when somebody changed departments or changed roles, you often didn't go back and clean up all the things they used to be able to do. So those are probably the two kind of major shifts that, uh, that we're working on, and I think as far as security goes, is very welcomed by our user group. Okay. So federated sign-on and then role-based permissions behind that. One more question for you. You know, major topic with our users is regulatory compliance. Yeah. So they're concerned when an examiner comes in and says, you know, you need to make sure your compliance programs for this particular uh, regulation is up to speed. How do you guys address that? How do you help? We work directly with our regulators, and they're really speaking, you know, with the same voice as the bank's regulators. Okay. So we have very thorough examinations. We know what we know what they're looking for, and uh, we generally are very consistent out in, out in advance, really, as to what the banks are going to be needing. For example, in the you know online banking, the uh, two-factor authentication, and so forth, mm -hmm. we need to get there very rapidly and tend to do that just in anticipation of those regulatory concerns. Okay. Again, uh, Jim Dempster, Medavante. Thank you very much. Okay. So now we're here speaking with Joram Borenstein of RSA Security, and he's going to tell us a little bit about knowledge-based authentication. 
Sure. Um, so what, what I th- where I think knowledge-based authentication is relevant in the online world um, is really as it, it, it has to do basically with three areas of fraud that we're seeing uh, happening in a post-FFIC landscape here in the U.S. Um, the three areas basically are in fraudsters attempting to uh, impact and um, uh, interfere with new applications. Um, in a minute, I'll tell, tell you what I mean by that. Air, second area is around uh, new remote applications of like telephone banking. The third area is kind of new emerging threats like Trojans and animal abuse. Um, the first area really is around post FFIC. A lot of the financial institutions we work with realize that they lock down most, but not all, of their website. And the area that they're starting to use KBA for knowledge-based authentication is for um, something called account origination, where a, a net new user comes to you and tries to open an account online. Um, and second area is in um, new account opening. And new account opening is basically an offline user. Maybe it's an elderly person, or it's a youngster, or somebody who doesn't have computer access, or simply never opened an online version of the account. Mm-hmm. They were an offline customer. They are an offline customer of your financial institution. Have been for 20, 30, 40 years, perhaps. Don't own a computer. Never had online banking. Never had an interest in online banking. Someone tries to fraudulently open an online version of the account on their behalf, obviously without their knowledge. Opens their account and then takes away all the money, right? So that, that's that's the main area we're seeing a lot of interest in KBA. The second area I talked about was telephone banking, where people are saying, "How do I authenticate people, customers in a call center, in a way that's stronger than simply you know the last four digits of your social security number and perhaps your mother's maiden name or your you know your zip code or your mailing address?" Um, phone banking has inadvertently become much weaker post FFIC, where the banks all the financial institutions, excuse me, all focused on the website. Um, the final area doesn't really have as much to do with KBA as it does with general concern in kind of a post-phishing landscape. What are, what are people? How are financial institutions going to be impacted by things like man-in-the-middle attacks, Trojans, keyloggers, etc.? Okay. So, so knowledge-based authentication. How how does that fit into all three areas? I mean, how is it utilized in all three areas? How can it be used across whether it's online or over the phone or any of the other you know other technologies, phishing or, or okay that sort of thing. So, so in the first scenario, it's use we use identity verification to vet a net new customer. So, you know, John Doe or Jane Doe comes to your institution. You have no prior relationship with them. You want to vet them. In addition to simply asking for maybe a driver's license number and a couple other pieces of data, you might vet them with some KBA questions. You might ask them the model of a car they once owned. You might ask them if they know who a certain individual is, and that might be a, a brother-in-law of a spouse. So it's something that a fraudster typically wouldn't know, but it's a top-of-mind question that an end user would know. Mm-hmm. Um, same scenario for someone enrolling you in online banking. If a fraudster you know, steals a, a paper statement and tries to fraudulently enroll you, the fraudster is going to have a lot of information about your mailing address, last few transactions, etc., but won't necessarily know the answer to you know, these kinds of KBA questions right. about you know, areas of employment, real estate transactions, things that occurred in your past that you will definitely know the answers to. In the phone channel, it's no different. Right? In addition to asking you how, how um, you know, the last four of your social or your mother's main name, a customer service representative can ask you a couple of questions, and depending on your 
answers, assuming you pass the process, right, then give you access to a higher level, riskier types of transactions like money transfers, etc. Is there a set of procedure? Do, do, do you... Do they know the questions to ask, you know, before they ask, before they're asked? You know what I mean? Is there like a setup when someone um, uh, creates an account? Do you have a list of, you know, 100 questions that they have to give you the answers to, or is it kind of done on the fly? So KBA never shows you all the answers, all the questions that are available, because if that were for some reason to fall into the hands of a fraudster, it would be a treasure trove, if you will. Um, it, it's, it's very configurable and very flexible in the sense that, you know, different institutions sometimes present typically two or three questions initially, and you have to pass two or more, two or all of those questions. If you don't, and then you're vetted and you're in, if you don't pass two or more, they might give you one more question. And if you don't pass that second question, right, that second level of question, excuse me, then they might lock you out of the account or prevent the process from going through. Okay. But there's no prior knowledge. I mean, the, the information comes from a that's wide that's, that's what I was kind of getting yeah. at. Where, where do the questions come from? Where, where, where is it? So the, I don't want any secrets yeah, or anything. Yeah, sorry, but sorry. <laughs> I, I, I can't give away the secret sauce as to where the sure. questions come from, but I can sure. give you, you know, some more examples. Okay. So examples that might pop up have to do with areas of prior employment, um, okay. members of the family, um, real estate transactions, you know, have you ever owned property in this county in the state of Georgia, okay. Okay. Uh, car ownership, um, educational records, things of like that. Okay, you, uh, you, you answered the question. Okay. What are, um, uh, next question, what are some of the, the roadblocks or challenges that you're seeing for financial institutions to deploy this sort of technology? Um, and how do you overcome those roadblocks? Sure. I think, I think inherently financial institutions initially have a knee-jerk reaction, which is, I'm not sure how this is going to fly with my customers, right? Um, there tends to be an issue of usability that they, that they are concerned about. There isn't an issue of usability once they actually start using it, but I think they, they automatically say, well, what if my customer is not willing to answer this question, or my customer simply, you know, believes the question is, is somehow an invasion of privacy. Mm-hmm. Um, once they talk to us, once they understand how these things are used, and once they understand that this is widely deployed at over 130 customers, most of whom are financial institutions, some of whom are not, though. Um, and once they understand the flexibility of the fact that you can use it in an online setting, you can use it in a call center you know, setting as well, they say, oh, this makes a lot of sense. Okay. Do you see this um, sort of filtering down into, and I don't know about the, the institutions that are currently using it, I imagine they're somewhat on the larger size? Um, generally, yes, but not only. Okay, so it's, 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 it's filtering down into some of the smaller, medium-sized yeah, institutions. We have, some small, we have some small credit union customers. Okay. okay, very interesting. Okay. Um, anything else you want to add for our, for our audience? Yeah, I mean, I would just I would just take the opportunity to point out that the fraud landscape is a dynamic landscape. It's changing. Um, you know, I, I spoke a few moments ago about the three main areas that we're seeing it in, sort of in new applications, new remote channels like phone banking, and new kinds of threats in a sort of post-phishing environment. Um, and probably a year from now, it'll be another three areas. I mean, the fact of the matter is the fraudsters are very innovative. They're watching the regulations here in the U.S. and elsewhere. Um, they watch the press releases. They know what the different vendors are, do, are doing for the most part. I'm not trying to make anyone paranoid, but the fact of the matter is they're aware sure. of these things. Um, we know through our anti-fraud command center that they are monitoring the different procedures and the different processes. And um, the fact of the matter is you need a layered and integrated approach. If you don't have that layered integrated approach, um, and it, you know what works now might not work tomorrow or six months from now. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Uh, again, Joram Bornstein with RSA Security. Good. Thanks, Mike. Good. 
Hey, we're here now with Eric Kwan and Don of Soft Forum, and they're going to tell us a little bit about uh, who their company is and how they pertain to the finance vertical. Uh, Softworm is a software security product. Uh, we focus on uh, online transactions, and that includes uh, online banking and uh, e-commerce. So basically, we focus on two areas, uh, anti-key logging and uh, anti-phishing, which is uh, prevalent as far as the hacking of and stealing of information, mm-hmm. such as uh, ID, password, credit cards, uh, social yeah. security numbers. So, uh, well, tell me, tell me a little bit more about your anti-phishing. I know that's a huge... Uh, uh, a huge area, especially, um, you know, we monitor a lot of phishing emails. We're seeing them not only come in from, you know, the top ten banks that you're used to, but even down to the smallest credit unions now. That's, that seems to be the new wave this year. Um, doesn't matter how big your institution is, there's a chance you're going to get fished. How do you guys deal with that? So, uh, basically, uh, software has different uh, laboratories worldwide, uh, Asia, Europe, America, uh, Latin America. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also work with an organization here called the Anti fishing work groups. Okay. Uh, comprised of uh, the Symantec and McAfee's. So we all share uh, different databases uh, regarding the fishing and uh, fishing uh, sites. Uh, using that database, we have uh, a security product where uh, when a user logs on to, uh, for example, uh, Bank of America or a Citibank website, .com, uh, that address bar will be highlighted in green to indicate okay. to the user that it's a safe, good site where you can input your ID. The password. actual site that they meant to go to. Exactly. Okay. So it's a safe site where they can, uh, it's okay to conduct the transactions. Okay. Uh, in case uh, they're attacked with a phishing or spam email and they're uh, redirected to a phishing site, uh, we'll indicate that site with a red highlight bar. Right. Indicate to the user that that's a bad site and uh, don't do any transactions. Okay. Uh, we also have a secondary security measure where we block out any uh, host file or third, sa- third server manipulations. Uh, there's cases where hackers will uh, uh, kind of manipulate the host file and so even if you go to a citibank.com uh, it might appear that the real site appeared right. but in actuality it's not the real site. Copy yeah. or, or something. Yes. Yeah. So okay. we'll block out that type of activity. So my dad? Yeah. The difference is also compared to other uh, anti-phishing products what are the anti-phishing products based upon blacklist the driven uh, technologies. Right. So they indicate try to indicate the red bar for this bad reported uh, blacklist but however the it has to be known already yeah known already but thing is that the usually anti-phishing sites stay there less than a week and disappeared by the way right so right. it's not a uh, you know use claim by the way but this product is uh, we are we want to say that the wireless driven products so whoever coming to the website they want to go it's a the green bar with that uh, origin the original location of IP address they indicate that oh this is a site I'm, I was going to go Right. For example, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, if you see some of the Indian, Chinese, Korean location, it's a, it's a suspicious site. Right, right. So we, we display that kind of differences. So it's, all, it's, it's kind of real time. I mean, yeah. you're kind of using data from different sources and... and, and it's, a, it's almost real time. Right, right. And also keyboard, keyword search base, too. So uh, if you type that the Bank of America, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, with a different domain name, it'll indicate that it's a uh, suspicious site, too. Okay. That's the consistency. And also, also anti-key logger session is about if the U.S. Uh, everything moving to compliance basis. Yeah, sure. Uh, the U.S. government driving compliance and the banking uh, 
uh, the, they used to talking about the security, but the security measure is high level, but uh, hard to implement into the end user phases. Sure. They understand that the education, the training out there, it costs more technical support issues right away. So it's uh, always juggling around between customer support issues or technical yeah. issues. But however, government driving uh, multi-factor authentication, so they meet that the minimum requirement, they set the two-factor authentication. Right. To us, it's not enough. Why? Technologies come from South Korea. The South Korea is originally uh, one of the most worldwide uh, country in any other country. Over between 85% or 90% of the household has the high-speed broadband connections. So online subscribers, the banking subscribers, growing together with high-speed internet subscribers together. However, over there, 2006 was outstanding years. For the first time, online transactions, money is higher than offline transaction national wide. Hmm. Every bank stays connect together, so you can easily wire the money from bank A to bank B. It, it, when you transfer US dollar by $5,000, it costs about only 50 cents per each in case, each cases. Okay. So it's cheaper than gas. gas sure, sure, sure. So my mom is 60, 68 years old. She carrying her own USB the tool, really? the certificate, and she knows three different passwords. Hmm. We, the children we educate my mom, and she's doing it because she recognizes it's much easier to do it. Right, right. She's going out, give a ride, anything. She's doing it. It's different generation. So there's a huge audience. She's the audience. The US will be getting the same level right now because long time ago, old generation, they don't know how to make the phone call. Right, right. Call to a bubbly operator. Now, old folks call the phone or watch the satellite TV, different game. Even, right. I'm not a sports oriented person. I don't know how to even monitor that one, too. Sure. It's a different generation, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So, but anybody can use it. Right. Just anti key lover, uh, P2P uh, network environment, the banking encryptions onto the network P2P network environment, by the way. But problem is they still information from keyboard drivers. Mm -hmm. So we encrypt the keyboard driver, too. So this is more than our two factors. Very interesting. Very interesting. Okay. Well, thanks for the words of wisdom. Again, this was a soft forum. Nice speaking with you. Thank okay. you very much. Nice meeting you. Sure. We're here now with Mike Clarkin of Sykes Enterprises, a customer service outsourcing company, and he's going to tell us a little bit more about their company and uh, vendor management with financial institutions and sort of what they have to go through or what you should go through in order to work with a financial services company. Well, thanks for the uh, thanks for the chat. Um, Sykes is uh, one of the top uh, outsourcing contact center companies in the U.S. Um, we've got a global presence. We work with banks and financial institutions all over the world. Uh, and I think to your to your point, really the main thing to consider when you're looking at outsourcing your, your call center services is the capability of your partner to really integrate with your network and become part of your security policies. Okay. So some of the things um, that you might have to do to work with a uh, financial services company, I know that uh, most banks or credit unions or financial services organizations, when they do work with an outside vendor or a third-party service provider, um, you kind of have to jump through some hoops in order to work with that company. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? I think, well, I wouldn't call it hoops. I think it's legit what they have to go through. Oh, yeah, sure, they, sure. They carry a burden of, of privacy and, and, and legal responsibility that's, that's higher than most industries. Uh, and so in the very beginning of the engagement process, we're looking at, you know, what is the what does the physical security have to look like? What does the network security look like? What are the policies and practices related to um, our staff and how they protect private information and personal information? And we build all that into a, a solution design that makes it so the bank can basically extend their network and their tools to our company and have it feel like it's still part of their own institution. 
And I know, I know. Before we talked um, a while ago, you had mentioned um, about sort of uh, uh, tracking and compliance issues. So they want to, you know, examiners want to see an audit trail of what you've done. How do you guys address that? That's exactly right. Um, you do that in a lot of different ways. One of the clever ways we're doing these days is we have some automated tools that allow us to uh, read or. Um, have the agent deliver compliance statements in an automated fashion so it can be recorded in your system. We can guarantee sort of that it's been delivered and how it's been delivered and what time it got delivered. Um, and I think the banks carry the biggest burden of the scrutiny of, of, of auditors on how they perform and how they handle sales practices in particular. And so we're very conscious of how we do that. And uh, you can, we do train agents day in and day out about how to be good about that kind of behavior. But it's also nice to have some automated tools to make it a bit more easy for them to do. Okay. Again, Mike Clark and Slakes Enterprises, uh, thank you very much. Pleasure. Yep. So we're here now with Rob McLaughlin of Tales E Security, and he's going to tell us a little bit about the company and how they address the finance industry. What we do, we do, we have two main products. The first product, we do network encryption for the banking industry and financials. And what that comes into play is when a uh, bank has a data center, a disaster recovery site, storage area network site, and they, hey, they want to encrypt the pipelines of data going between the different locations uh, up from anything from a T1 to OC192. Okay. We do hardware encryption, which is the best encryption, AES 256K, and um, our products are approved by federal agencies, federal government. We do a lot of work for the military as well. So the applications that we run into are a lot of companies in the U.S. who might have facilities around the world, and we provide hardware encryption for these companies to send large pipelines of data, encrypt data in transit. So anything moving across their network is all encrypted. The other part of our product portfolio is uh, securing credit card information. People like all the uh, major credit card associations use our products to encrypt and decrypt sensitive information from ATM or point of sale. Uh, the company itself, we also get involved in um, uh, interfacing with people like uh, ACI, uh, Euronet, S1. We provide the hardware photography for those companies. So when they're selling their banking solutions, we provide the hardware piece for software companies. Okay. Uh, we have offices all around the world. We sell the same products all around the world, so we can support any customer in the U.S. worldwide. So we heard uh, we heard last year uh, some talks from uh, people from the FDIC regarding encryption, and we all heard that encryption was going to um, be a big factor this year, moving into 2008, and even everything that's happened with uh, you know the TJX data breach has been in the news a lot recently, and it seems like you guys are on top of that. What can you say about um, you know, payment card industry, PCI compliance. Yeah. I mean, we, that's one of, the, one of our main areas because, again, working with people like these and working with MasterCard, they're the people that are on, on the committee setting that. So we work very closely making sure all of our products have fits for that industry. Um, we've seen a, a growth this year in people who are interested in buying our products. I don't have the statistics in front of me, but from what they, what they were over the last few years, this is probably the strongest year we've had in sales of network encryption products for the commercial space. We've always been strong in the government space, but the commercial space, enterprise, financials, is what it's been. Um, 
do you probably doubled this year. Do you think things like the TJS data breach and, and some of these regulations and guidance that are being issued are, are those a driving factor? And yeah, they are. But there's more exposure. The, the thing we see is that um, with security, it depends how much money a company has because the, the, when you look at the risk, a company's going to look at what they want to invest their sure. money on for security. And the, the thought of the the piece of uh, encryption is where we see companies saying, you know, we, we really need to encrypt these, these huge bandwidth pipes. And it really, we're seeing more companies saying, yeah, that, that's part of what we want to do. It still comes to internal threats and internal things where a lot of money is spent. But we're seeing finally more money being spent outside of that a little bit. But it really is a, a philosophy on a company because there's some companies that say, when, when encrypting all the, all the pipes, uh, we, we might do in software some different ways. But we have some companies who mandate they want to do everything with hardware encryption. Where we've gotten some significant business this year, and we see that trend continuing into 2008 as well. Very good. Well, again, thank you very much, uh, Rob McLaughlin with Tails eSecurity. Yep. Thank Thank you. We're here with Adam Dolby of Vasco Data Security, and uh, Adam is going to give us his words of wisdom on what their company does and how it pertains to authentication and banking. All right. Um, thanks, Mike. Uh, Vasco is, uh, we're actually the largest uh, authentication provider in the world. Uh, we have about um, 850 to 900 banks around the world using our authentication solutions for securing their end-user customers. Uh, retail authentication with tokens is taking place all around the world, with the exception of the United United States and, and in Canada, um, and then we're seeing some more sort of passive authentication taking place in the U.S. But the, the company as a whole, we see um, somewhere in the neighborhood of 75 to 80 million um, end users secured with Vasco technology um, through banking applications. So that's certainly our core focus and, and where, we, where we find our niche. Okay. How would you say that um, you know your tokens kind of compare with other tokens out there? What's, um, the, what's the major? The significant differences for us are, are number one, we started the business focusing on financial institutions. Um, so we've designed and implemented solutions that are for delivery for banks to their customers. Rather than building out for network access and all that other stuff like most other providers have, we focused all, all throughout our history on delivering uh, authentication to massive numbers of end users. So we have tokens that last 7 to 10 years as opposed to normal 3. Uh, we allow complete branding of the tokens. I think I have a sample here um, where the, the financial institution can, can pick their color, put their logo on oh, it, nice. so you notice there's no Vasco branding on it at all. Um, and, and in the ideal situation, the, the end user customer has no idea who Vasco is. We prefer the bank to promote their brand, their product set, they've made the investment in security. We want the customer to feel that the bank is securing them, not Vasco. Um, the, the other significant difference for us is our back end is very flexible, very scalable, so it allows for millions of tokens to be deployed as easy as um, so that there's no impact to the banks. It integrates directly into applications. Very easy for administrators to handle. It becomes a very compelling solution to deploy. Would you say there's any specific uh, size institution that might use these, or is it yeah, it's, it's on the, the smallest? From, from De Novo to to you know the, the uh, Capital Ones of the world. Okay. Any size. Um, fit. And it, it really is a, a sort of a, a testament to our, our pricing model, our go-to-market strategy. The vision that we have is that every bank should be able to afford authentication, be able to deliver it to their end users. We don't care if it's you know, the, the, the mom and pop bank down the street or um, you know the largest in the world. 
Okay. One one last question. Where where, where do you see uh, tokens going? What's the future? Uh-huh. If you can tell me, to- <laughs> tokens for everyone. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, where where do we see it generally? Um, to be honest, I think in order for tokens to really hit for the U.S. on the retail side, there needs to be an evolution in the transaction set for the U.S. consumers. The reason that tokens are so prevalent worldwide um, is that they're able to move money between banks almost in, in you know near time. So five to ten minutes settlement between banks to consumers it makes fraud very highly likely it makes those banks very attractive targets so you've seen true strong authentication happen worldwide in the US we don't have that capability we have bill pay we might be able to move it in a few days or so but it's generally not anything even close to real time or even near time um, so once that transaction set starts to evolve you'll see this start to happen in mass for the, for the US retail market where we see it sort of short term so you know, that's kind of the two to three year outlook short term it's high net worth high functionality users on the retail side and cash management has certainly moved towards tokens uh, almost uh, across the board so. very good yeah. okay well thanks Adam Dolby from uh, Vasco uh, Data Systems security data security thank you you got it You've just listened to vendor interviews conducted on the Expo Hall floor at the BAI 2007 Retail Delivery Conference and Expo. To learn more about these vendors and other topics regarding information security in the banking and finance industry, please visit bankinfosecurity.com or cuinfosecurity.com. Thank you.